I know you listen to probably as many, if not more podcasts than I do. And I just want to tell you about these new headphones I'm obsessed with. They're Studio Trenton headphones. And I'm weird about headphones, but these are in-ear headphones that I can wear all day at work. I don't like, they don't like, aren't weird on my ears or anything like that. And I mean, they last all day. So you can ignore everyone around you at work. And if you want to help out the show, um, go to studio.com and use the discount code domesticity and tell them I sent you. I highly recommend Trend, but if you have a different kind you like, try them out and let me know how you like them because I'm always in the market for headphones. I like really listen to way too many podcasts. Check out Studio and use the discount code domesticity. Remember that. 15% off an amazing set of headphones. Go out there and get some, guys. Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, a podcast about history, true crime, and whatever life brings us. I'm Courtney, and every week I am joined by another fascinating person. Let's see what we're going to talk about this week. Welcome back, devotees. And this week we have... Michael Orr. Hello. (laughs) He's back again. I've conned him. We're in the same room. Which is nice. Yeah, it is. We're just so happy. We've been talking for two hours already. Yeah, yeah, it's really great to catch up. So I thought it'd be fun because last time you covered Andrew Jackson. Yes. And we didn't really get to get into how we know each other, which has been a long and storied time. You could say that, yeah. So do you kind of want a little brief synopsis of our friendship? Oh, okay. Uh, we both went to graduate school at Miami University. Yeah. And we met there. And, uh, we both did very different things <laughs> with that uh, in that degree. And I will say my topic was happier than yours. Yours got dark quickly. I mean, my yeah, my my topic was um, Vietnam War veterans and uh, the developments of post traumatic stress disorder as a definition. The way that we deal with uh, trauma and warfare. It was it was a fun time. <laughs> it was good. It was really it was really good work though. Yeah, and our offices were across from each other mm-hmm. in this weird. T-shaped hallway. Yeah, yeah. And we would just be in there way too late. We'd walk out and find each other still in our office at two in the morning. And yeah. both be surprised to find each other there. We're like, wait, we're still here. Yeah. And then we'd both tell each other to go home and not go home. And then we'd just go back <laughs> in our offices. And then when you left, we kept in touch. Yeah. And when I started the podcast, you were my tech support. Yeah, for a little while. I was your troubleshooter for a minute. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and you're like... It's okay, I don't either. <laughs> And now you're starting a podcast. Yes, yes. So now I'm going to be starting my own podcast with the co-hosts, and uh, I'm really excited. First episode, probably next week. It'll be great. Do you want to tell people what it's going to be about? Um, it's going to be a uh, sort of a non-serious look into various historical topics, whatever we feel like doing that day. So um, we're calling it Drunk Thunks, and it's basically just going to be us getting trashed and having fun. Uh, if you like history and you like hanging out with a group of friends that just ramble about random historical stuff, we're going to be for you. So that's uh, that's going to be our our format. It's basically we get trashed and then we talk about the stuff that we already really enjoy just going down rabbit holes about and have fun doing it. So drunk history, but more fun. It's drunk history meets. Yeah, no, it's just drunk history. Yeah, <laughs> it's drunk history, the podcast. Drunk history with more academia involved. Drunk, drunk history with better sources and fewer A-list actors. You never know. Don't count them out. I know. I know. We'll get there. They're filming a lot in Cincinnati. We'll just abduct one. See, it won't be that hard to even just find them. No. We'll just record them on the street and then throw the audio. I know Mark Ruffalo has been around. He has, yeah. He's been tweeting a lot from here recently. Oh, I did. Oh, I probably am working really close to them, too. See? See? Well, I'll get a butterfly net. We'll catch Ruffalo. Oh, that'd be wonderful. He's a wonderful guy. He probably would just do it and be like, do you want to talk about horrible things? Yeah. You can talk about environmentalism and then I'll scar you with Cincinnati true crime. Well, I mean, there's enough environmentalism true crime to go around around Cincinnati. So it's true. Yeah. I've already covered the Cuyahoga River burning though. Yeah. Well, that's going to take the cake on particular Avenue. Yeah. So you're going to go first. I'm going to go first. Okay. So, um, I wasn't sure what to call this episode, but, um, I'm going to take you on a journey back through time. My favorite kind of journey. We're going to the Plymouth colony in 1600s North America. Can we first talk about Plymouth Rock tourist trap? 
Plymouth Rock, not actually a thing. <laughs> don't don't pay to go see it. Don't go there. Oh my god, don't definitely don't pay to go see it. But don't bother at all. It's not actually a thing. It's a Plymouth Rock was made up over a hundred years after the first landing of the Mayflower. It, it it has no historical provenance. It is it was it was made as a like a commemorative piece. Uh, the closest thing that we have to a source is uh, one of the original passengers of Mayflower uh, when he was 92 was dying and they wanted to take him. They wanted to take him. The colony wanted to take him back to the shores where they had first landed. That and poor so, man. Yeah. So they put him on a chair because they didn't have wheelchairs and they carried him back out. And this 92 year old guy who I imagine is not in like the best shape in the world, given like the diet and healthcare that they had in, I don't know, 1700, I guess, Massachusetts. Not fun. No, not great. So they carry him out there and he like vaguely points at a rock and says, that's where we landed. But the Mayflower never landed. They had longboats that yeah. like brought them in. It's not like the Mayflower like landed and that was the first landing. They had longboats that brought people over. So just that's our only possible source. And this guy was 92 and it happened when he was like 17. So it, I don't necessarily know that I remember every rock that I touched when I went to the beach five years ago, and he had a little bit more distance there. But regardless, it's a tourist trap. Yeah. It's also, just not worth it. Yeah, also the fact that those ships are huge. You cannot pull them up to the Virginia shoreline. I wouldn't recommend it. shoreline. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not the best way to, to work. Also, have you seen the Massachusetts shoreline? You're not pulling them up. I haven't seen the Massachusetts shoreline, but maybe I'll go just yell at some people at Plymouth Rock someday. Please pay for us. Mike and I will fly out of Cincinnati. We'll go to Plymouth Rock and just throw rocks at people looking at Plymouth Rock. Oh, my God. I don't know if I want to get arrested about it, but... Okay, fine. We'll yell at people looking at Plymouth Rock. Yeah, we'll bring flyers. We'll have pamphlets. Can we dress as pilgrims? Yeah. Real pilgrims, <laughs> Real though. pilgrims. We won't... No, no buckles, no black pointy hats, and no. we're going to dress like real pilgrims, which is just going to be like... Rags? I mean, like shit in, I don't know, gingham, and we won't bathe for seven weeks because you know, we were on a boat. Okay, we're going to bathe. We're just going to throw dirt on us, though. We just gotta, we gotta, it's, we gotta commit? This is, about, this is about historical realism, which is another <laughs> term that I hate, but we can get into that another time. Please donate to the Patreon if you want us and write that this is for the Mike and Courtney Go Talk People at Plymouth Rock Fund. There you go. Yeah. We'll start a fund. We'll get a GoPro and we'll film it. We'll there's, have to, there's like, some bonus content for your Patreon. Yeah, we'll put on yours too. I there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll all be great. Our university will be so proud of us. Our All of the money we're really end up getting just used for bail. <laughs> but I don't necessarily know if that's the worst way to use it. Okay, so um, we're going to be talking about Plymouth Colony. Uh, so before we get started, I, I do like to give a little disclaimer about the way that I look at history. And um, particularly history with only a few sources that you can work off of. So, um, you know, I've, I've heard time and time again throughout different popular ways of talking about history that history is a window to the past. Hold on. I hate I hate that phrase, but I've actually kind of come to terms with it. But I, I there's some there's an asterisk. History is a window to the past. That window is in your neighbor's house across the street. OK, you can only see through their window through your own window. Okay, so we only get glimpses of what happens inside your neighbor's house. Our perspective is incredibly limited, and we definitely don't have all of the context for what we see, right? So that's that's how history works. We, we have our own window that we're looking through through our time, trying to see into this other window. We've only got this tiny little window, which is the sources that we have. And, you know, so what we think we know about the Puritan era is the same way that what we think you know about your neighbors that you've only mm-hmm. ever seen in the windows across the street. So... It is the Hitchcock movie, The Rear Window. That's right. That's our field. So <laughs> it's mostly rumors. You have to guess what the rest of the furniture looks like, and it's largely voyeuristic. Uh, as someone who is trained as a historian and respects many of the historians that I know, I feel very safe in saying that we are all voyeurs of one kind or another, and that we enjoy that aspect of the field, and that some, but not all of us, are complete perverts. <laughs> Which matches our 20 minute to 30 minute conversation about perverts before this. I mean, it's relevant. It is relevant. (laughs) So so, um, the Puritans uh, would not have called themselves the Puritans. They were known as uh, during their time as separatists because they were breaking from the church of England. And this was coming up in the wake of the Protestant revolution uh, during the 1500s in England and throughout Europe. 
Uh, they were not necessarily a very popular people. They banned Christmas. They banned everything. Uh, Dancing. Card playing. Parties. Drinking. Having a good time. Sex with anyone. I've run out of time. They're not fun. <laughs> They're not a good time. Don't um, be a Puritan. So uh, they started out as separatists from the Church of England because they believed that the Church of England, the Protestant Church of England, had not moved far enough away from Catholic traditions and that uh, they needed to push for more reform in the Church of England. It wasn't Protestant enough. There was still too much ceremony. There was still too much papacy inside of it, popery. So, uh, so they'll approve of my calling it Catholic light? Yeah, yeah, they would agree with you, and they'd be very upset, and they would have lots of notes about how that works. Uh, so they were not well-loved by their fellow Englishmen. <laughs> to say the least. Uh, but during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I, they were tolerated, right? They're, they're not Catholic, so fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we're not gonna, we don't see them as a threat. Wow, this is the second time in a long, well, for me, a week that I've talked about how the English dislike the Catholics and they're just tolerated or suspected of burning down the whole city of London. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's, well, there was a whole lot of animosity there that only got worse. And that's a whole different episode. I'd love to talk to you about Ireland and. Oh. Catholic. Uh, we'll have to con Will London into that. Protestant relationships. Yeah. Oh, he'd have a ton to say about that. <laughs> During the reign of Elizabeth, they were not seen as a huge threat, but uh, under the next, after Elizabeth passed, King James uh, became king, and he was way, way more worried about the separatists because he saw them as more of a threat to the validity of the Church of England. And he, uh, so he was just like, we have to get rid of them, we got to destroy these people. And he said, quote, I will either make them conform or I will harry them out of this land. And uh, that's exactly what happened. I like the phrase, harry them out of this land. It's yeah. a great phrase. Also, he was raised Presbyterian, am I thinking correctly? James? Yes. Uh, he was raised in the Church of England, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I guess... Pres- six of Scotland, first of England. Correct. Mary, Queen of Scots, is his mother. They forced him to be raised... Protestant. Protestant. I know Protestant, but I wasn't sure which sect. Presbyterian is American Church of England. So oh, that's he's in the Church of England, so it's just... It's a different flavor. England. It's the same thing. I mean, it's 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 the same religion. Well, people could argue that. So <laughs> Don't um, fight us on this. <laughs> yeah, uh, if, if you want to, leave your comments below. Um, so basically, now they're illegal, or uh, their way of life is illegal. So the Protestants, this particular sect, the Separatists are trying to run away from England, which is really difficult because the Church of England doesn't want them to get out. They want to make them be the Church of England. Also, they're on an island. Yeah, it's hard to get away. So they, they try several times to charter ships. Uh, they eventually get a deal to uh, run away to Holland. Shoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Holland is pretty Protestant at that time, so oh, yeah. they have a better shot. Uh, Very and, prosperous, too, at the time. Yeah, yeah. They were one of the big trade empires emerging during this time. Many were arrested and charged, but they eventually made their way to the Netherlands. And uh, they set up shop there. They, they made a life for themselves, but it wasn't necessarily what they had hoped for because, I mean, they're still foreigners in a foreign land. Uh, their religious beliefs aren't exactly what their neighbors are. So they can only get poor uh menial level jobs and there's very little room for upward mobility in the society because of their beliefs. Um, they were also really worried later as time went on, uh, after about eight or 10 years, uh, that their children were becoming too Dutch, which is always a fear. (laughs) And then again, we had a Dutch professor who we loved. Yeah. And he was kind of like the Papa bear of the department. And we all wish we were more like him. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why they were afraid of their children becoming more Dutch. They seem delightful. Well, we're American. And they're very anti-fun things. Yeah. yeah. And the Dutch seem very fun. They got shoes. They got the flowers. Oh, some of my best friends are Dutch. They have a great time. Uh, Good beer. Great beer. Great other stuff, too. This is the extent of my Dutch knowledge. (laughs) Amsterdam is a very fun city. If you ever get the chance to go, don't expect to turn the same person you were when you left. So they're scared that their children are becoming too Dutch and less Puritan, less separatist. They're they're losing their culture of disliking Catholics as much. Uh, they decided that they needed to find a place that they could go where there would be nobody else to infect them with foreign beliefs or 
other languages or whatever else where they can just be the only people and it will be just them and they'll just be completely correct and alone forever. That's the idea. You're completely right about everything and you don't have to worry about anybody telling you otherwise. This is not relevant at all. So they formed a charter and got a commission with several other investors from England to sail to the Americas. Which is how you did it at that point. You had to get kind of a coalition to right. fund it. Otherwise, these people didn't have not have enough money for ships and supplies and right. convincing the King of England to say, okay. Well, and like I said, they were also very poor at this time. They don't yeah. have they don't have high paying jobs, they don't have status in society. So they had to rely on contacts in England to make those connections mm-hmm. and to build that. So uh, there was a failed attempt and uh, they had to sail back because the ship was leaking. And then uh, they managed to get the Mayflower, and then they sailed over to England, uh, from England to uh, the Americas, and landed in the completely wrong place. <laughs> I've heard it, it was supposed to be on purpose, though. Like they kind of were like, "Hey, maybe." Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look into that part of the sources, uh, but we can confirm it later. Yeah, I just because they they still feared being under English rule, right? Which, I mean... Very much so. There are three countries-ish that also agree with that, but that's besides the fact. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, so once they got to the Americas and established their colony, uh, they, they they basically set up their own way of governance. And everyone thinks of the Mayflower Compact as like the, the governing law, the first mm-hmm. like law of people together in a space. But in reality, most of their law was a combination of uh, English common law, which they brought with them, right? Mm-hmm. Their knowledge of how government worked and how people were regulated and punished from England, and then combined with a very strong emphasis on uh, biblical law, like right, like the mm-hmm. what you would have found in the King James Bible, like people did these things and they were wrong, they were punished in this way, mm-hmm. and so they used that because of their, you know, the part of their reform that they were trying to do as separatists was they wanted to bring people closer to the biblical truths that they saw. Uh, and so a lot of that was done legally through the way they regulated people. Also, let's just point out, uh, common law was not written down law. No. Common law, as much as people think, oh, England has common law, it was written down much later. It was kind of set by precedent right. and all of this. And we don't really see that getting written down. It, at this point, it might have they might have started in the Temple Bar in London. They might have had right. written down and or had the case precedent, but really... England doesn't even have a constitution, really. I mean, their their code of law is so complex and, and built, like you said, from precedents that have been established over hundreds of years uh, and only loosely codified or, or the providence of those codifications are not always great. Um, so it's it's sketchy to say the least. Common law, common law is a lot of hand-me-down lawmaking. It's telephone lawmaking. Uh, kind of, in a way. It can be at times. Uh, not that I claim to be a legal expert in anything. So we get there. They make their colony. Things are not necessarily awesome. Uh, <laughs> about 100 people land, and after the first winter, there's about 50 of them left, uh, which is not, not great. In case you're really bad at math, like I am, I still got that. That's about 50%, right? Yeah, they lost half of their people in one year. Got uh, it. Because they landed later than expected. They had no provisions for the winter it was an incredibly difficult winter from 1620 to 1621. It was just unbelievably awful. It's during the start of the Little Ice Age, isn't it? Uh, somewhere in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, it's right around that time. So, listeners, in case you don't know, during uh, the 1600s and a little bit, like, there is a Little Ice Age that happens that basically makes winters longer, summers shorter, there's a severe population drop, and this is when our country was founded. Yep, yep. Uh, it was... Not the best time. I think that anyone today would argue that, you know, New England winters can be rough anyway, mm-hmm. but doing it on top of an, a slump in world, you know, global temperatures is just not the best time to show up. <laughs> they wanted to prove that they were real Massachusetts people. That's right. Right out of the gate. Right, they they yeah. have the same pressure everyone does when they visit Boston. Really I'm not prove, cold. Really prove that you're you're one of them. What do you mean there's a foot of snow? I'm still not cold. I'm going to wear shorts. <laughs> right. um, so one of the things that came out of this is that they I actually, unlike their forebears, were really, really good at keeping court records. So we actually have uh, all of this time period's criminal records 
uh, and activities recorded. And uh, so they did a great job of transcribing all of this material and they made a very strong point of keeping those records. Uh, and so uh, between 1855 and 1861, right? Like two centuries later, uh, all of those records were transcribed by a company in Massachusetts uh, and compiled into a 12 volume book set. Uh, and then much later, Microsoft, when there were still wars over like who was going to be the leader in digital technology, Microsoft had a program to publish online materials and scan materials back when that was like the craziest thing anyone had ever heard of doing, digitizing books. So Microsoft paid to have those volumes scanned and published online. And then uh, when they closed their program, because Google had just become infinitely better at scanning documents, they donated those books to archive.org. And so you can still get them today. They're free and available to the public. So you can look through all of the skeevy, disgusting details of every horrid thing someone did in the Plymouth colony for the first 150 years. Yes. Give me all that old gossip. Right. That's really what it is. I mean, one of my favorite lines is that... um, so there was a court case in 18, uh, or not 18, 1641, where one woman came into court and this is written in the court record, recruiter being drunk as a dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's, Your that's, honor? that's the actual, that is the, that, that is the charge that was placed against her. And it's written in the law. This is like one of the few records. This is like the only time these two women are mentioned in all of history. This is the, this is what they have left behind for us. Oh, I can only hope for so much for myself. I know, living the dream. But what we're, what we actually, what we actually see is the records of what, uh, what they did, and it was really just like the bad side of what they did, right? Things that you went, you don't go to court for fun. Uh, you go to. What court, are you talking about? I obviously go to court for fun. Well, you go to court after fun. That's <laughs> that's that's a different situation. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to these courts and the courts, the laws are based on a combination of English common law uh, that they transported from England and then their interpretation of biblical law, which they saw as the law of God, the natural law that should govern the world. And so the results are that we get this really dense record on a very slim glimpse into the history of this colony, right? Like, like I said earlier, like you get that one view through your neighbor's window and you can see this aspect of their life. And only the pervy stuff. Well, only the pervy stuff or the payments that need so many payments. Yeah, that people don't realize when you study history, a lot of it is just financial records. Oh my gosh, most of it is this person, this person, this much money, this company, she needs to pay this much, this, yeah. This is why they said they couldn't pay, so they're going to do this. And you're just like, and then you wonder why historians actually love to drink. Because we have to find a story somewhere in there. Also, you just don't want to fall asleep while you're reading it, so you reward yourself. That's right. Or maybe that's just what I do. Well, then you fall asleep because you rewarded yourself with alcohol. And, <laughs> Actually, and that's why we're in the office until three. <laughs> hey, I never brought alcohol into the office. Yeah. <laughs> I only brought a drunk Mike back once. Not you, Mike. Other Mike. You, P, Mike. I don't remember it, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. What The, the result is that we find these really, really like dense views of what's happening. But uh, we don't we don't really know what's going on. We just know the results of some action that took place and the punishment that was meted out for it. So we don't right. this person did this and is punished with this. We don't get a record of the motivations, the why of what happened or anything that preceded anyone else's perspective, unless it happens to be recorded, which it really was. So I have a couple of examples here. So, um, yes, give them uh, to me. The first man hanged in the Plymouth colony was hanged in 1630. His name was John Billington and he shot John Newcomen in the first shooting murder recorded in uh, Massachusetts. That's it. That's all they said is that this man shot this man. So he was hanged. That's the whole record. We don't know anything about why. Because Puritans don't know how to have fun. <sighs> because, and then, well, they shot each other. That was something. Uh, <laughs> three, uh, eight years later, three men were hanged in 1638 for murdering a Native American man. And we do know why, because he stole something. Native American had okay. been stealing from their farms. And so they went out and murdered him. And then they got caught murdering someone. And so they were all hanged. And it was meant to set an example. Like this one was meant to set an example. Three, a triple hanging. Mm-hmm. It was also probably about the best entertainment that they had during that time. I like that you would think they wouldn't because their relationship with the Native population. But the fact that they want to maintain that good relationship. Right. 
they are willing to set that example shows some level of fairness. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of that. There was a lot of back and forth. There are several incidents that I found where um, Native Americans were sometimes treated differently in the law system because like the punishments that may be meted out may have been different than what their own colonists would have gotten. It may have been slightly more lenient because of the importance of keeping those relationships with native tribes because they were so reliant on them for so much uh, that all fell apart later. I mean, obviously, but uh, yeah, there was, it was a really, it was a tense balancing act uh, between getting what you need and then also keeping your own ideals. Um, So in 1660, Thomas Atkins was tried for incest with his daughter, Mary, which is just great. Uh, We actually have a bit more detail here. He was found not guilty of the capital crime of incest. And this is interesting because they distinguish between having committed the act and having attempted the act. So those are two different crimes. So he was found not guilty of the capital crime of incest, which would have been hung. But he was whipped in public for incestuous incestuous attempts uh, in, quote, the chimney corner while drunk, which is just gross. On so many levels, because I'm like, chimney corner. Right. So you're near a hot fire. Right. Drunk. So you've clearly cornered your daughter there. You've made several mistakes already. Yeah, there's so many mistakes happening. And that poor girl. Right. Uh, but we don't have any other details. Like, that's that's the total story that you get. Mm-hmm. This man did this horrible thing in this place and was punished in this way. Uh, we don't know anything about Mary, the, the girl, the daughter. Uh, we don't know whether she stayed with the family after that. We don't know how the family dealt with the situation afterwards. I mean, clearly their lives had to have gone on. So mm-hmm. what the information that we get is generally so limited that uh, we don't get to tell a very complete story. We just get these glimpses into aberrant activities. Yeah. And then finally, and most disturbingly, is the case of Alice Bishop, who was hanged in 1648 for the crime of murder. She had slashed the neck of her four-year-old daughter, Martha, while she slept in her bed. And we have no information on why. We don't know anything of the details of the circumstances. Uh, We don't have any information on what would drive the mother to a crime like that, especially because she did it in such a a visible and obvious way. You know, this was not an attempt to hide the crime, which, which leads me to question whether there were other circumstances involved what the mother's mental health was like, what the situation in their home was like, we don't know. So uh, the wonder of court records is that you get to keep these fascinating, aberrant stories. Uh, they keep all the lascivious, tantalizing details of the wrongdoing, but very rarely do they give us the actual full story. So with that in mind, I actually have one full story that I can share with you today. Yay! Hey guys, I know you listen to probably as many, if not more podcasts than I do. And I just want to tell you about these new headphones I'm obsessed with. They're Studio Trenton headphones. And I'm weird about headphones, but these are in-ear headphones that I can wear all day at work. I don't like, they don't like, aren't weird on my ears or anything like that. And I mean, they last all day. So you can ignore everyone around you at work. And if you want to help out the show, um, go to studio.com and use the discount code domesticity and tell them I sent you. I highly recommend Trend, but if you have a different kind you like, try them out and let me know how you like them because I'm always in the market for headphones. I really listen to way too many podcasts. Check out Studio and use the discount code domesticity. Remember that. 15% 15% off an amazing set of headphones. Go out there and get some, guys. Because we do have a couple strong records. Ugh. So I'm going to take you back in time. Everyone, to a story buckle up. Your time machine. Filled with intrigue. <laughs> a story of faith, death, sin, and redemption. Dun, dun. But mostly, it's a story of true love. You told me this was about true love. And I'm re- that just... Peach my interest. So imagine this. It is 1642, right? 21 years after the colony's been founded. Rather cold September day as 16-year-old Thomas Granger is ushered into the court in Plymouth. Uh, we don't have a record of who brought up the charges, but I can only imagine how uncomfortable everyone was on that day, including the person bringing the charges. Now, the court record is available, and it's from the same source that I got the previous stories. But the story there is very, very short, barely a paragraph. 
as I'm sure nobody wanted to write about it. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So there was, however, one person who did desperately want to write about it. Yes. And that's Governor William Bradford, who loved telling sickening stories of all shapes and kinds. And so he recorded the following incident in his Diary of a Plymouth Plantation, which I will now be reading verbatim with commentary. Can we please just hope he started always, Dear Diary. Oh, he didn't, if only. (laughs) He wasn't Samuel Pepys? No, unfortunately. (laughs) So the following is an actual excerpt uh, with commentary included from Diary of a Plymouth Plantation. After the time of writing these things befell a very sad incident the like foul nature in this government in this year, 1642, which I shall now relate. I just love the descriptions that they would do. They'd be like, I, it's my duty. This is my rev up to telling a story. This is my warm up pitch to you that I'm going to start telling you a story. There was a youth whose name was Thomas Granger. He was servant to an honest man of Duxbury, being about 16 years old. He was, this year, detected of buggery. <laughs> so buggery for... Our dear listeners who don't know what buggery is, is anal sex. It's anal sex in this case of a very particular kind. Yeah. He was first discovered by one that accidentally saw his lewd practice towards the mayor. I <laughs> forbear the particulars. And I really wish he hadn't because... Logistics. I mean, this kid, this 16-year-old kid fucked a horse. <laughs> and I, I don't want to do it, but I'd be very interested to know how he did it. There, there is a society of guys. Someone died from, um, I believe, fucking a horse or getting fucked by a Probably horse. Probably the latter, yeah. But, like in Montana, I think. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so, let's get fucked a horse. Being upon it examined and committed, the horse examined because no one believed him. Can you just, first of all, someone has to go tell someone. Right, this guy was, first of all, this guy, let's, let's, let's back up the timeline. This kid is fucking a horse. Yeah. Some unnamed person is watching him fuck horse <laughs> and then leaves to go run away and tell everybody else that this kid is fucking a horse. Would you run and go tell people that you saw a kid fucking a horse? Yeah, but I would have watched first. <laughs> well, so, you have to make sure. So according to the law of this period in the Plymouth Colony, uh, you cannot make a conviction or it's very difficult to make a conviction without two witnesses. And we just have the one guy. Which is why, not necessarily being able to believe him, they go back and examine the horse and find um, remnants, definitive proof that he did, in fact, finish. Fuck the horse. <laughs> so history is fun, guys. <laughs> continuing in the end, he not only confessed to the fact with that beast at the time, but sundry times before and at several times, and with the rest of. Aforenamed animal. These included oh my God. the aforementioned mare. So we got one. A cow, two goats, five sheep. Running out of fingers. Two calves and a turkey. How the fuck do you fuck a turkey? He found he found a way. So that's 12 animals. Now, now to back up, this is 12 animals that we have recorded so, so far right now. This kid has over a period of God knows how many years. But he fucked a turkey. <laughs> Now we need to back up and address a myth for a second here, because there is absolutely no conclusive proof anywhere in the written record that any pilgrims ate a turkey on the first Thanksgiving. Thank you. In 1621, we have no proof that pilgrims ate a turkey. We do have proof that they ate pumpkin pie. But we have very, very definitive proof from two substantiated primary sources that at least one person ate turkey in 1642. <laughs> so you're saying someone ate that turkey he fucked? No, I'm saying I'm saying he ate he, out a turkey. I'm saying it, yes. <laughs> now in reality, you probably committed anal sex on the poor vaginal. I don't know how turkeys are shaped, but I can say with a great degree of certainty that it was non-consensual. Uh, yeah. And that he probably enjoyed it. Actually, you know what? He probably didn't because, as far as I can tell, he only fucked the turkey one time. So he looked at that turkey, goes. I could fuck it. And then he was like, afterwards, he's like, not a great idea. He probably, yeah. I can only imagine the claw marks were were dissuading from future endeavors. But my God. Like, I mean, have you ever tried to get a goat to do anything that it didn't want to do? Goats are the honey badgers of farm animals. They don't give a shit. Right. 
And they're very good at escaping things. And he managed to seduce two of them. <gasps> How do you seduce a girl? I don't know. Like, that's what I'm saying is that, like, this kid, like, for all of the horrible shit that he's doing is incredibly impressive in its in its own way. Like, oh, my God. You know there's someone sitting in that courtroom like, I'm kind of shocked, but also really impressed. Right, right. You know that there's, like, a vulnerable gasp after every single, <gasps> after every revelation. And then one guy goes... <laughs> All the ladies have fainted. Right, yeah. I don't think there's any women present at the end of this. Uh, no, as soon as he fucked uh, the horse, they were like, ladies, out of the room. Uh, um, let's, uh, let's, no vaginas let's, here, let's go! This discussion to um, so, back to the source. <laughs> this, his free confession, was given not only in private to the magistrates, and then in here he has a side note, although at first he desperately tried to deny it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, did you, we saw you fuck the horse. Tom, Tom, we saw you fuck the horse. What? Because <laughs> he's 16, so yeah, his he's voice. 16. No, no. What do you mean? I was busy. Tom, I was just helping out the horse. Tom, we knew you were going to say that, and so we sent two guys out there who examined the horse. And, um, buddy, bring your arm over here. You see his arm? Oh my god, no. <laughs> Tom, is that your spooch? <laughs> Tom, be honest. Because you said his arm, I'm just assuming that they did this. Well, I mean, this was a time when, you know, farm animals were a lot more. Your relationship with animals was a lot closer. Yeah. Look, anyway. <laughs> so he desperately tried to deny that this has happened. But eventually was convinced that it was best to just confess. So he confessed to sundry, both ministers and, uh, and others, and afterwards, upon his indictment, to the whole court and the jury. And again, confirmed it at his execution. Oh yeah, Tom's gonna die. <laughs> well, I figured, because... Tom's gonna die at the end of this story. Uh, they value animals very highly, because they lost 50% of their population. Oh yeah, and resources are, like, you're so far away from anyone else that has these animals, it's not like you could just walk down the lane and buy another cow. Uh, so, um... Real question, what if the mayor had a centaur? How is that a real question? Is that a question <laughs> you legitimately want to explore? I'm just thinking, how mind blown would the the separatists have been if like just this weird horse baby came out? They would have just murdered it immediately. They would have burned it. They would have burned it, they would have burned the mom, and then they would have burned anyone else that looked at it. <laughs> I, I, I feel very safe on that one, that that would have happened. Okay. Everyone involved would have just been dead. <laughs> if the centaur was born in Puritan New England. <laughs> Everyone involved is dead. The field is burned. Everything's burned. Everything is burned. Just and then they cleanse just, with fire. And then they would just go throw salt in it just to make sure. Just to be absolutely certain that everything is dead. Yes. So, okay. Just curious. So having confirmed that he did in fact confess it to fucking everybody, we come to the next difficult point. Once again, from the source of Plymouth Plantation. Whereas some of the sheep could not so well be known by his description of them, his fucking description. You know, Betsy, she has this really lovely curl. Like, these were his, like, I used to think of this as, like, a really intimate relationship. This isn't him, like, describing his love affairs, like his lovers. <laughs> Who he's selling out now. But he's not good at it. <laughs> so they can't figure out, like, all right, Tom, what did the sheep look like? It was kind of white. <laughs> It had a lot of uh, wool on it. So. I remember this one had particularly good ears, like big ears, because I held on to them. While, no, anyway. Um, <laughs> Everyone in the room's really uncomfortable. I, there was a lot of vomiting around this one. <laughs> there was a lot of buckets around. Let's not lie. It was not buckets. They just would leave. It's, so, it's like so. a rookie cop on his first murder scene. So Tom sucks at describing the sheep that he's fucked. <laughs> I feel like sucks is not the correct term. <laughs> she's not good at it. So, <laughs> not so well known by his description of them. Others in the community, with them, other sheep were brought to the court before Tom so that Tom could pick out which they were and which they were not. So to clarify, we had our first law and order police lineup in American history in which Tom had all of his neighbor's sheep brought to the court so that he could point at which ones he'd fucked in the butt. Could you just imagine how bad you feel? Like, okay, 
You have, and it has to be the father too, because yes. they're not going to bring any women in there. No. So you have to line up all your sheep. Which have you wrangled a sheep? You are terrified. You are terrified that he's going to point at your sheep. Because <laughs> you're not getting paid for that sheep. No. We're going to get to that later. That's a whole thing. <laughs> so you know that. So like, I just my personal image is just like you just have piece by piece these sheep are brought in, maybe six or seven at a time, and then. Wait, which direction do they face about? Like, but. Towards him. Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> Did which, you recognize this butt? Which one is he going to have a better chance of identifying? <laughs> <laughs> Would sheep number four please step forward and read the card? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's. I would recognize that sultry butt. <laughs> you should know I'm laughing so hard. I'm crying. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, once they identified all of the sheep that he fucked... It turned out that it wasn't five, by the way. It was eight. <laughs> the cheeky bastard. <laughs> Apparently there were more that he had forgotten about, but then he recognized. How bad do you think those sheep felt? And at a certain point he goes, oh yeah. You. And, and Jessica. Sold out by your lover. <laughs> there was there was one, and I think it was an apocryphal piece. I don't know that it's, a, it's necessarily sourced um, correctly, but there was one source that said that when he brought the sheep, they brought the sheep in. He saw one and said, Oh boy, I loved her especially. That one's old Blackie, my favorite. <laughs> so Tom is not only a sheep fucker, he's also kind of a moron. With favorites. With favorites. Like, just like, fucking lie about, like, no one, you have to keep in mind, no one saw him do any of this except with the horse. He could have just ended it there. He chose willingly to talk about all of the rest of them. So I just still can't believe he had a favorite sheep. He had a favorite. Well, it's hard to believe he had a favorite. There were eight of them. He had a harem of sheep. Clearly he had a favorite because he had tried several and decided that this one, he was a connoisseur of sheep butt by this point. <laughs> like he had refined opinions. He had, he had developed critical opinions of which animals he preferred. Now, it's also interesting to note that he didn't stick with the sheep. Because the yeah. last one that he fucked with, the horse, yeah, so, he graduated up. Yeah. It seems to me that as he went on, it's like, here's how I see it, is that based on the way that it was described, it seemed like every time he fucked an animal, it got tall. I don't know how tall Tom was. There's no record of that. But he went from turkeys to goats to sheep to cows to horses. Which well, he only did one cow and one horse, so clearly it was enough to satisfy I him. I have to imagine that it was like a power figure. <laughs> After the eight sheep, he was like, I'm having a great time. And then he's like, wait. Because <laughs> it probably was like uncomfortable the first couple. And then he found sheep and he was like, great. Because he did eight right. and had a favorite. Right. And then it just probably dawned on him one day while he was probably fucking a sheep. He probably looked up and saw a cow. He just saw old Bess. Poor Bess. Poor Bess. <laughs> so... Back to the course, <laughs> to, to, the, to, the, to the document. Uh, accordingly, he was cast out by the jury and condemned. What? And after, executed. A very sad spectacle it was. What, you mean people weren't upset? People were very upset. I think they weren't upset about so, Tom. I think they were upset about what Tom did. So, uh, the punishment that the colonists were meeting out was based, like I said, on the law that they brought with them, which was biblical law that I mentioned earlier. I kind of know this. So the punishment for bestiality is actually drawn directly from the Bible. Yes. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, verse 15, which uh, Bradford makes a very strong point of like saying, look, we, we had to kill him. Like it was in the fucking Bible. We had to, uh, I didn't want to do it. I liked Tom. He was a good kid. We didn't know about this. Yeah, there's nothing, that, there's nothing in this story about Tom's work ethic. So we don't really know. He didn't have that Protestant work, work we, ethic? We don't know. Maybe he did. Like, maybe... I mean, he got through a lot of animals. I was going to say, like, the kid worked hard. Whether he worked hard at the things they wanted him to, and whether he worked hard or worked hard, I mean, <laughs> is, is to be debated. One is clearly true. The other is up for grabs, like the sheep. Um, <laughs> so, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 15, uh, the Bible reads, If a man lie with a beast, he shall surely be put to death, and ye shall slay the beast before him. So, back to Bradford's count. You want to you know what's funny? What? That's actually also in the Code of Hammur Hammurabi and the 
Jewish laws. So there's one thing that, like, all ancient societies were just really clear on. Don't fuck animals. If you fuck the animal, we're going to kill you, and we're going to kill the animal. Mm-hmm. Well, it's they're so valuable. Right. It's your food, it's your transportation, it's your power source. Right. That's why they're called horsepower. Right. Right. No, it's such a vital part of the society that, it, I mean, this is a real big problem. <laughs> so, <laughs> How many times did so, it have to happen before you have to start codifying it, though? Yeah, that's like... <laughs> I mean, clearly they brought this over. This wasn't the first time anyone fucked a sheep. There are enough Welsh jokes around to, to, to note that. Um, so, but this just leads back to what he said, which is indeed true. It was a very sad spectacle. For first the mare, and then the cow, and then the rest of the lesser chattel were killed before his face. <laughs> Tom had to stand there on the gallows and watch all of his lovers die. Real quick question. Did they mention how they determined which turkey and which goat? Did they do the same thing? I think it's just that Tom pointed them out. I I literally (laughs) think that Tom just was like, yep, that's the one. And everyone in there is... Everyone is just desperately hoping that he's not going to point to their turkey, to to their livestock. They're just like, please don't That's the day the Puritans started drinking. Oh, no, no, no. There's a whole thing on Puritan drunkenness that we could get into at another time. But they started drinking long before that. Um, yeah, they were in the like little ice age in New England. Yeah. And what some, else do you do? And sometimes you were in the corner of the chimney with your daughter. Uh, so he had to stand there and watch all of his lovers die and then die by hanging. Well, that's just rude. Because how did they kill the animals? Uh, they, they, I believe they slit their throats. Okay. Why did um, they just kill them like they killed the animals? Because that's, you hang people. That's what you do. Also, it's probably too merciful after you basically took out Several people's animals. Well, the thing is that, so, this is a whole different topic, but the idea of how to properly execute people in a moral society was a big debate during this time period, uh, especially since there was such an emphasis on biblical law. Mm -hmm. And the shedding of someone else's blood is a big part of that. It's a big no-no. Right. So shedding another's blood is a kind of violence that's differentiated. So when you hang someone, you kill them, but without shedding any of their blood. What if you miscalculate the length of the rope Oh, that happened a lot. And it was too short. If it's... And their head pops off. Well, no, if it's too short, then they don't drop hard enough to just snap the neck, and then they oh. strangle to death, and it takes forever. If the drop's too long... Oh, that's where... You get so much momentum that it pops their head off like a champagne cork. Yeah, that's one. Which is random fun facts that so, we both know. Well, it's... I mean, because it was like a real balancing act. Yeah. Last podcast on the left, actually, that's, did yeah. an episode on executions, and they have a whole section on hanging. Uh, it's a great episode. Um, it's always, I believe that's how some places they stopped using hanging because it was, they were having such a hard time getting the length right. So people weren't dying and not quickly enough. It's like the same with electric chair Right. is there were so many botched that they were like, we can't do this. Right. No, it's just not efficient. Killing people is harder than you think, especially when you're trying to do a clean. Um, as a history and true crime podcast says, so, <laughs> if anyone would know, we, we've looked into it. Um, so all of the animals were killed before him, and then he was hung. The cattle were all cast into a great and large pit that was digged of purpose for them. Grammar was a lot looser back then. Uh, was digged of purpose for them, and no use was made for any part of the body. Because, you know, according to biblical law, yeah, you can't use the animals because they're defiled. But also, does anyone want to drink the milk from the cow that Tom fucked? <laughs> You, you know they probably thought about that, that they had milk from that cow. Right. Like, Imagine if you've already made cheese out of it. Does this taste salty or <laughs> Did you put salt in this cheese? No? Okay, we're going to just throw the cheese okay, out. We're gonna, kids, get, kids, go go outside and play. Mommy and Daddy need to have a talk. Mommy um, and Daddy need to throw this into the fire. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> that's probably what they said. That's probably what they said. Um, and then blessed it and then chucked it into the fire so it could burn. Right. Oh, Lord. So so he's dead. Tom's dead. Wait, I just realized they also would get milk from goats. Yeah. So This is a huge loss. Like, this is, this is a tragedy for these people. They lost so much livestock. And turkeys lay eggs. Yeah. So really, the only animal that he fucked that they probably didn't have anything immediately from were, depending on the sheep, how long he had been adventuring in this. You could be wearing a shirt from the, from the sheep that Tom fucked. Yeah. But I mean, horse. this would haunt this would haunt this community for at least a generation because you don't know what you're touching that was covered in Tom's spooge at one point or another. So <laughs> the animals are dead. So a quote from he goes back to he backtracks a little bit 
and then says when during questioning Tom Granger was asked where on earth he had picked up the habit of buggering farm animals. Quote, it appeared that he was taught by a fellow servant who had heard of such things in England. <laughs> we don't know when that happened, but apparently he heard it from a guy and thought, well, fuck, I'm an enterprising young individual. You probably hit puberty. Yeah, he did. You can't touch anyone. Right, it's Puritan New England. You're in the same room within arm's length, like... Us right now, we would be taken away. Oh, we'd be, yeah, it'd be rough. We'd be People so have been arrested for what we're doing. We're sitting in talking. a Yeah, it's a man and a woman sitting in a room talking. Right. Yeah. So you have to think he probably was frustrated. And unbelievably so. And he was like, he heard it and he probably, it probably got stuck in his brain. Oh man, he just blew his mind. <laughs> and then one day he's like, saw a turkey. He was like, that's got a hole. <laughs> oh my God. And it fits. My real question was, if you didn't have sex ed, how would he know anyways where to put it? Probably because the guy told him. He told him in detail? Like, that's the question. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, it's like locker room talk. It's it's barn talk. I don't know. <laughs> Servant talk. Servant talk. You know, I had a friend back in England. Uh, hey. He really liked resting his, uh, his Johnson on a turkey. Right. <laughs> Sit ye, Tommy, and you shall hear the midnight ride of... <laughs> Paul and Fluffy. <laughs> we are recording really close to the anniversary of Paul Revere's ride. <laughs> I appreciate this. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that you made Paul Revere dirty. Thanks. <laughs> so when during questioning, Granger was asked where on earth he picked up the habit of buggering farm animals, it appeared he had been taught by a fellow servant who have heard of such things in England. Wait, he was taught, which sounds like he was shown. That's right. That's right. Because what probably happened is that Tom walked in on this guy with a with a sheep and Tom made the wrong decision, which is kneeling before the feet of this man and saying, teach me your ways. He probably also was very frustrated. So that's why he was like, Oh yeah. He was like, what if happening? He's like, you look like you're having fun. And that's not something I see people do very often. Please explain further. Explain further. Tell me. And that's probably why it was a turkey. It's an intro animal. <laughs> intro. Please don't, please stop putting this in like serial killer terms. I just read I just it. want to make it very clear that this, that Tom did not kill anyone. Okay. Tom did not kill anyone. He just fucked 12 he just, animals. He just fucked a bunch of animals. Oh wait, no. It could have been more. 15. It could have been more. Who knows? We have a minimum of 15. Tom may have forgotten a few. He seems like that kind of person. I mean, in the dark, you know, <laughs> in the dark of the night, you go out to the barn and I mean, who's to say? I now have the song Dark of the Night from Anastasia Sucking. It's a very different type of emotional state. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Tom Granger was hung by the neck until dead. So, um, that's the story. That's, that's what we've got recorded. It might be one of the most detailed stories that I've found of accounts from this time. Um, and this event is tragic. It's tragic on a number of different levels. <laughs> First of all, this poor fucking kid. <laughs> I mean... Tom Granger, poor Tom Granger. He's all alone. He's unbelievably horny. <laughs> Clearly. He's he's a very driven individual. If nothing else, he's proven that he's the kind of guy that will go get what he wants. You know, he could have been somebody. You know, could he could have he could have been a but no, instead he You became, made the wrong hand motion for that. He became the fucking Don Juan of the Pilgrim Barnyard. <laughs> that was what he chose. <laughs> he was the succubus of Plymouth. And he died at the age of 16 in a society that really could use like more young men to do labor and like be around and like help things. I mean, even if they are fucking the livestock a little bit. You know? That wasn't a little bit. No, 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 no. Tom, Tom's a... Tom's got a problem. If anything, Tom's primary sin is gluttony. <laughs> do you know if they buried him in the churchyard or are they just kind of... It's not recorded where he was buried. I actually wondered about that myself. No, I didn't see any record of where they buried him. I assume that since bestiality is like... Top sin? I mean, like, there's like... So it, there were only five capital crimes uh, in Plymouth that you could be hanged for. And it was murder, adultery, incest, uh, buggery, and bestiality. So those are the only five things that can get you straight up fucking murdered. And he got two of them. And he got two of them. Uh, so... You don't want that punch card. I would imagine that... Because there was a common practice during this time that, like, if you... If it was like known that you died and went to hell, uh, you wouldn't be buried in a churchyard. Mm -hmm. So he may have been buried elsewhere, but I don't really know how they buried people 
in Plymouth or like what strategy was, or I mean, with his confession, with his confession, he may have been, they may have considered him cleansed of the sin. So he may be buried in the church. We don't know. So we don't know where he was buried um, at all. Uh, additionally, uh, this poor fucking family that he worked for. Could you imagine they didn't know? Well, they did. Of course they didn't know. Or if they did, they realized that he fucked everything and they were going to lose their whole life savings. Like yeah. everything. You are screwed. You can't feed yourself. You can't stock up on right. anything. You can't trade because you also probably can't marry your daughters because that's <clears throat> you would trade. Yeah. You don't have anything to give away as a dowry. So also who's going to accept it? Right. Oh, what from the Tom family? <laughs> from the oh. fucker family? So there's nothing in biblical law that says that the owners of the livestock that are killed have to get any restitution. So they probably weren't. So not only did they lose their servant, right? They lost their worker. Tom's gone. They don't have the kid anymore to work for them. But they also, like, imagine the family, like the dad that's there, like, watching as they bring all of these animals in. They're like, Tom, this one? Yep. And this one? Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. And, and this one? Yep. Fucking turkey, Tom. <laughs> that, was... that one is just... <laughs> I don't know! I don't know! I'm not Googling it either. I don't know. I don't want to be on any more watch list than I probably am. You just watch this father's face, like the blood draining out of his face, just like mortified. Watch it like you can hear like the math in his head. Wait, so he was a servant, which means he's not working for his family. That's two families he's ruined. Yeah. Because you have the taint of being someone like... Oh, you employed Tom, the right. goat fucker. Well, and I don't know if Tom's family was from the local area. He may have been one of them. Let's so, only hope for his so, family. Uh, maybe for his family's sake. But yeah, so this family that brought him in as a servant is now completely broke because their 16-year-old servant boy found a really creative way to get around not having any willing young Puritan lasses to hanky-panky. <laughs> was it just the people he worked for? I think it was like, I think I really think it was like, it was just one family. He just fucked everything that they owned (laughs) because it was harder to get away. They were the most immediately readily available animals. Yeah. And then finally we should note, let's not forget the poor guy that had to hang him. So Mr. John Holmes was messenger of the court for the colony. That is his job title. His job included caring for the jail, meeting out punishments for the guilty, which usually involved like collecting, you know, dues. And Mm -hmm. uh, also, public whippings. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of public whippings. He had to care for those in bondage and then perform executions if necessary. So we actually have the court record. I went and looked this up. The bill that John, the, the hangman, submitted the next January after Tom was hung in mm-hmm. September. And so we see, I see his year expenses as the messenger for the court. And he's got like five or six kids, okay? Mm-hmm. John does. And he had to keep Tom Granger in jail and keep him fed at his own expense yeah. for 10 weeks while they wheedled out of Tom all of the animals that he had fucked. (laughs) While they raked him over the coals to make sure that we knew every single animal that he had fucked. That seems like a California length interrogation. Oh my god. Yeah. So that's expensive as hell. And John's got to foot the bill for all this. Yeah. But first of all, he gets to know the kid. Like he interacts with Tom every single day. And then, when all is said and done, poor John has to go out to the public square, kill all of his neighbor's livestock, and then hang Tom. Yeah, he was probably not popular. No, he was, I mean, no one blamed him. Yeah. You know, like, it wasn't his fault at all. So, but by every account that I've seen, uh, John the hangman was drunk as a skunk that day. And he was so drunk that he nearly botched the hanging until someone helped him. Because he was so fucked up trying to deal with all of this. I mean, wouldn't you be? Absolutely. He's he's probably like, I'll just take a nip. Well, it's just just one more. After every animal. Oh, God. Well, it's really notable that he was drunk and that they know he was drunk because um, it was a pretty bad offense in their society. Like, drinking was acceptable and normal, but drinking until you were drunk was punishable by whipping. Yeah. And John is the guy that usually whips people. So... I don't think he got whipped. I think they were all like, everyone was a little drunk. Right. And no, everyone was like, let's just let John handle this however he needs to handle it. John's having a really bad week. So for all of this, right, every, all of that shit, he submits his bill. And four months later, he gets his bill back. And for all of that, he got two pounds and ten shillings for hanging the kid and one pound for slaughtering all the 
How much is that? That's not a lot. Like, it's really not a lot. I think I found, so I looked around, I looked around for comparative mm-hmm. amounts. So for context, three pounds would be the value of about one expensive hog. And that's it. That's so, so sad. Now, but I would say as a caveat, you can feel really good about buying that hog because Tom isn't around anymore. And so... And you know Tom has never fucked a hog. And we've set a pretty good example for other people to not do this. So, uh, yeah, uh, that's um, that's the story of Tom Gallagher and his winsome ways with farm animals in Plymouth Colony. So I think it's interesting to look at this from, because we're seeing all of this from William Bradford, the mm-hmm. governor's point of view. And you have to look at it. I mean, he was one of the original people. He was there from the beginning. And so he yeah. saw this Plymouth Colony grow from like this meager, defeated 50 people in 1621 to around 2,000 people by the time of these events in 1642. Yeah. Massive explosion. So they were actually on the verge of becoming successful, of becoming mm-hmm. like a functioning society. But at what cost, right? The whole reason they left was to escape the, what they saw as the immorality of England. And then you get this kid fucking literally everything in sight. Which explains why, like, you know, so many view what he saw as the view, as the taint of England, right? Yeah. Not the taint of England, but like the taint... <laughs> Of Englishness, like coming back over, and so he was he was terrified. The word choices on this are not going to be good, no matter what so, we do. That this new society that they had worked so hard to build was being contaminated by this world they had worked so hard to leave behind. So I mean, yeah, it was literally brought over. It from was me. literally brought over. Tom Granger confessed to having learned how to fuck animals from somebody in England. It was just further proof of their fears. Mm. So the Pilgrims had survived this like harsh harrowing, unbelievable circumstance, and were finally beginning to thrive, but they f- were so scared that they had lost the morality that they had set out to achieve. Uh, and so, you know, he writes, and yet all this could not suppress breaking out sundry no- notorious sins, especially drunkenness, uncleanliness, even sodomy and buggery, things fearful to name. And they have all broken forth in this land oftener than just once, which implies that Tom was not the only one. Was not the only one. <laughs> he was just the most prolific? I mean, he was definitely like, yeah, he was top tier. This guy was the Genghis Khan, Plymouth goat fuckers. <laughs> so the moral of the story is that it just goes to show that you can run to new continents. You can bring only your best friends. You can build a shining city on the hill, but there will always be someone trying to fuck the sheep. <laughs> You're not wrong. And that's all I got. That's my story for today. <laughs> okay. So you want to tell people, well, you haven't set that up yet, have you? I haven't set up. Uh, no, I don't. My, so I'm, I'm in the process of starting a new podcast. I'm uh, going to be getting a sting for it. Uh, and we're going to be recording our first episodes uh, next week. If you like crazy, body, ridiculous stories from history told by drunk friends that hang out, have a good time, and tell disgusting jokes, you will have a great time with us. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you, Courtney. Thank you so much for bringing me back on. It's always such a pleasure to do this. I know. Uh, you want to tell them the name of your podcast? Yeah, it's going to be called Drunk Thunks. And, uh, it's going to be available uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, look for that probably later this spring, maybe in the summer. Yeah. Well, I'll catch you next time, devotees. Bye. <laughs> I'm Mo Blackwell, the host of Targeted True Crime Domestic Violence. We investigate cases of family violence each season using academic research to help us interpret the events so that we can become better advocates. In season one, we follow the case of little Militia Gibson, who was murdered by her stepfather as her mother stood by without intervening. We learn that Militia was not the only one being abused and took a hard look at laws and policies regarding abuse. In season two, we're telling the story of Tracy Thurman, who sued her city because police refused to protect her from her abusive husband. We'll also study the case of Joshua Osborne. His case was sensational, replete with the biker gang who rallied to protect Joshua and new legislation resulting from his case. Josh passed away a few years ago, and two of his siblings agreed to tell his story. Except they've revealed it wasn't just Josh's story. It's their story, too one that has been suppressed for over a decade. You can find Targeted Podcast, True Crime, Domestic Violence, on iTunes, Spotify, and all the major podcatchers. Peace, my friends. Peace.
Cult of Domesticity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts and our Instagram is at the Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.